Right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Jordan! So it's another red agenda, just three left to play for the Premier League champions. And there's still something on the line, the chance to set a new points record. I'm Steve Hothersall, I'll be looking at that with James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Also on the show, Manchester City escape a European ban. How does that impact on football's top table? We'll talk Jordan Henderson and the trophy lift. Naby Keita's uplift in form. Dejan Lovren's future and what the lads in Melwood are eating and why it makes them so special. All reasons to listen to the Red Agenda. So first, uh, welcome back, Simon Hughes. Hi, Steve. And of course, uh, James Pierce. You OK, James? Hi, Steve. You OK? Yeah, let's start uh, with yourself, Simon, and Liverpool's flawless home record, dashed by Burnley, dashed by Nick Pope, really. Do, do you think there's some frustration in the camp at the side getting so close to completing that record? Well, it was an incredible first-half performance by Nick Pope. I don't think I've seen many go- better goalkeeping performances, you know, certainly in the Premier League for a long time. I mean, Liverpool, the last, uh, obviously, they got knocked out of the Champions League, didn't they, by Atletico Madrid, thanks to a, you know, a similar performance, really, by uh, Jan Oblak. So, they, you know, they, they've sort of had the progression, um, certainly in one competition, halted because of that. And then, and then obviously, the quest to go and break a new record has ended partly because of, of Nick Pope. So, yeah, I mean, the second half, I did sense a, a degree of frustration in the performance. Um, I think when you come up against a goalkeeper like that, you know, you've got to uh, do something particularly spectacular. And Liverpool's Liverpool's goal was, was, a, was a great goal, I think. You know, it'll probably be one that'll get forgotten because it didn't lead to a, a victory. But, you know, the you know the header from Andy Robertson was just uh, incredible. Um, and Liverpool's first half performance, I thought, was really good. But they just tailed off the second half. I just think... When, you, when you've won the league, and I understand this, this sort of records that teams want to go and break, but there has been a tail off in the performances since lockdown and, and since uh, since the Premier League's returned. I think that's just partly a consequence of, of the way Liverpool play normally, you know, in terms of the rhythm with which they play. They have changed the team quite a lot, and the second half, it just sort of fizzled out. But let, let's not forget as well, I mean, Burnley, I think... They got hammered by Man City, but other than that performance, you know they they've been on a really really good run to to end up with the I think they're on fifty points now to be at that that stage now when when it looked like they could be in for relegation scrap. They've got to give them some credit. I thought they defended really well against Liverpool on um, on Saturday, but yeah, one record broken. Uh, obviously, there's one record that Liverpool can't reach, but there are other records that they can. I'd imagine mm. Jurgen Klopp will will be looking to try and achieve those over the next uh, next fortnight. It's a very differing uh, emotions from Andy Robertson. The, the joy of scoring the headed goal, fantastic, great finish. 
And then Andy Robertson confronting uh, the officials at the very end, James. And it's it's quite hard to explain how a penalty wasn't given when Goodmanson uh, brought him down on the edge of the box. A bizarre one. I must admit, I was I was sat right up at the top of the the main stand watching that, and it looked it looked like a pretty much nailed on one from from where I was. And then when I got back home and saw the replays, it only confirmed my initial thoughts. So. I don't even know where you start with VAR when you look at some of the decisions we've seen across the Premier League just just in the last week or so. I mean the you know the absolutely ridiculous penalty that that United were were rewarded when 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 you know it was a it really should have been a, a foul the other way and some you know even even Mamadou Sakho's one for yesterday for that was disallowed for Crystal Palace when the ball bounces in off his shoulder. But yeah, Liverpool were done no favours certainly by by the officials on the weekend. I thought I thought you know Mo Salah could have had a penalty as well when he was when he was quite clearly manhandled after he'd got in behind the the Burnley front line. And I think Simon's right in terms of there has been a general you know I think it's human nature that you do ease off once once you've achieved something as big as Liverpool have achieved. But I think you only had to look at the footage that was circulating on um, on Saturday afternoon of the exchanges between, I think, Andy Robertson and the referee and Trent Alexander-Arnold and the referee to see how much it still means to these players. And I think also, you know, Burnley were only ever really going to score from a set piece and it was obviously a second ball from a set piece that, that did the trick for them. But even the way in which, you know, Alisson was getting manhandled at corners and stuff, I think... You know, I think obviously when you don't win the game you, and you complain about the officials, you get accused of sour grapes, don't you? But yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool certainly had good good reason to to complain about the state of those uh, those officials at the weekend. I mean, side that outburst from Andy Robertson was that more um, a frustration perhaps that Liverpool haven't put that consistency together since the season restarted. Yeah, potentially. I mean, uh, you know, he's the, ultimately the one who's been brought down and is closest to the incident, isn't he? You know, he's the one directly affected by it and, and will feel that it should have been a penalty. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a massive appeal from uh, the rest of Liverpool players. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't sense that. Um, but, but obviously he felt that it was a foul. So naturally, I think he's going to be frustrated by it and, and um, it, it's not too far from the end of the game. So it's still fresh in the memory. Um, so you know, I, I think it's encouraging that you see two players in him and mm. Trent who are pretty vocal about uh, their frustrations with the referee. I, I realise you know some people might frown upon it, saying you've got to respect the referee's decision. But particularly those two players, Trent and Robertson. You know they're very competitive, always wanting to sort of beat each other, and you know a competitive rivalry between the two of them. Each one wanting to sort of get better records than the other. So I'm not surprised by that. I just I just think in terms of the actual game itself, when you know when you know you've won the league, you know the, the motivation it, it is different. I mean, obviously. I'm not a footballer, so I don't know exactly what it's like. But I'd imagine if you've won the league and you know that you haven't got that ultimate prize to aim for, it's just little things. You know, is your pass quick enough? Is is your movement as sharp as it was before? I, I did sense that in the second half. It was a warm day as well, warm afternoon on Saturday, and Liverpool's players just sort of cruised through the second half, which was a bit disappointing. But as I said, I mean, I, I thought the first half performance was as good as it's been really since Liverpool have returned to, to football and match action. So. I mean, there's three games to go, and I would think that, that that will sharpen Klopp's focus in the last fortnight. So, three games to play, 93 points at present. So we've got Arsenal on the 11th of July, Chelsea the 22nd of July, Newcastle the 26th. What is driving the players 
at this point. What do you think, James? Well, they, they certainly will want that that record off Manchester City. I think that's the the one target left to to aim for. Of course, you know it's made more difficult to try and get past that hundred points, having having dropped those two against Burnley, but still possible. I think the frustration for me at the weekend was that I thought Liverpool were absolutely excellent first half. They just seemed to almost run out of ideas and lose their way in the in the second half. And I think one of the other things that struck me was that there's been some games where where Klopp has made changes since the restart that have really affected Liverpool positively and, and improved them. But um, that didn't happen at the weekend. I thought, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen him shake up the front line just for the last 10 or 15 minutes when Liverpool were, were chasing that win. You know, he, he had options on there that he didn't use, like Minamino and, and like Harvey Elliott and even even someone like Shakiri. So that was a bit of a frustration. But yeah, there were... You know, I think you only had to to see the the body language afterwards to know that that there there is still something riding on this for 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 Liverpool, and you know they've they've got some big games still to come, haven't they? With you know Arsenal, you know going going to the Emirates in midweek, and then you know of course it'll be a special occasion against Chelsea after that because it's it's the night that Liverpool are reward are presented with the the Premier League trophy, and you you certainly don't want to. You know, you don't want that night to be accompanied with a, a negative result. So, um, yeah, and, and I think also just with the Klopp has spoken about it himself that you know, with the with the short turnaround between seasons, you know, I, I think you do want to, you know, you, momentum is important in football, and you, you certainly don't want things just to just to peter out because you know, there's for for these individual players, there's still points to prove in terms of you know um, showing the manager where they should feature in terms of next season. Yeah, really good point. Finishing on a high side, it, it'll be important for the manager, for the players as well, for momentum. Well, definitely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with next season starting so quickly, you don't really want to lose that momentum, you know, because I think the players will go on a on a short break and might be able to travel about a bit. Um, but you know that they'll they'll be they'll be back at it pretty soon. So, what happens now will affect. September really you, you would think you know in terms of the feeling around the place and the, and the, the confidence um, I mean I don't see confidence dropping dramatically just off the back of um, you know one indifferent result against you know let's, let's not forget a, a good Burnley team I think but they've got perfect opportunity really haven't they with, with the standards of the opposition that they've got coming up against you know Arsenal Chelsea uh, Newcastle you know each, each one of those games are always keenly contested really so I would, I would, you know, I would, I would think that they'd be right back at it. Hopefully, um, they're going to have to be because Arsenal still have just about something to play for. Chelsea certainly do, and yeah, games at St James's Park. I know obviously there's not going to be any fans there, but always, always games with goals. You know, usually. So, yeah, I, I can see a lot happening between now and the end of the season, and you know, the the the, the players are going to have to. I, I would think, um, particularly that the ones who've been offered some some opportunities are going to have to step up because. Who knows, you know, over the next couple of weeks with um, the possibilities around transfers, this is their opportunity to go and make sure that they sort of nail down opportunities for next season as well. The one the one sort of bit of disappointment that I, I, I felt after Saturday in the last few weeks is Minamino hasn't really had much of an opportunity to, to, mm. to show where he's at. And I, I, I thought, you know, after lockdown and the way he, he, he supposedly trained and came back I would have been expecting a bit more from him in terms of game time and you know performances when he does play but you know since since the Everton derby when he was taken off at half time he's, he's barely really featured and affected the game when he has played so 
I think he's the one possibly that might have to to, to certainly step up because um, you know the competition for places in the area of the field where he plays is, is so intense. This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic, uh, brought to you with uh, James Pearce, Simon Hughes and myself, Steve Hothersall. Premier League football, of course, is back, and right now we're offering a 30-day free trial to The Athletic for a limited time only. If you head to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod, sign up, enjoy the best football writing anywhere, some great articles on Liverpool's title victory. And there's another one out uh, from James Pearce on the diet that powered the champions. We'll talk about it later. Uh, so try us out just as the Premier League reaches its conclusion. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Now, of course, uh, Liverpool's main rivals next season will again be Manchester City, who've um, been dealt the news that actually they're not going to face a European ban. Does it make a mockery of FFP? Of course, it's been a huge investigation. In fact, is there any knock-on in the in the top table of football clubs? Let's get some, some thoughts from James Pearce on this one. I think many predicted that, that City might be let off the hook, James. Yeah, that was the word at the back end of last week, wasn't it? That people close to City were saying that they were they were very confident that the Court of Arbitration for Sport would would uh, would overturn this two year ban from from European club competitions and 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 clearly they were proved right. I think um, you know it's a it's a hammer blow for UEFA. You know, massively embarrassing for them um, that it's been been overturned. And of course, you know the the fine slash from what was it thirty million euros to ten million euros, which I'm not sure that's really gonna gonna do do much damage to the pockets of uh, Sheikh Mansour. And it, it it does it does leave you wondering. You know where FFP goes from goes from here because you know it was you know UEFA made you know such a, a stand in terms of you know how you know, they were going to ensure that these rules were were kept to and I think it would be I don't I, I wouldn't expect any official response from Liverpool but I think mm. privately Liverpool's owners would be um, pretty perplexed and um, disappointed to say the least about the outcome because you know going right back to when they bought Liverpool it was it was because they 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 were under this belief that FFP was coming in and was gonna ensure that that um, there was a level playing field and I think you know it's clearly that is just not the case I think in terms of the impact on Liverpool directly I think probably a mix because I think if this ban had stood then I actually think it would have made life a lot more difficult for Liverpool to retain the Premier League because City wouldn't have had that added complication in addition to the schedule of the European football that they would have gone absolutely full throttle in the Premier League and probably been very difficult to stop. But then, you know, on the other side, you had the the issue where would they have been able to keep hold of, of all their, their star men in, in the absence of Champions League football? So, um, yeah, it, probably not a great surprise, to be honest, but... You know, in it's it's pretty bleak. It, it you know the, the the fact that you know having UEFA having made this stand, it's it's now been overturned. Yeah, cynically, you might you might feel that UEFA just didn't think they had I don't know the the power to to deal with a Manchester City, and they just wanted them involved in the long run. Simon, what was your personal feeling on this ruling? Well, I mean, from, from what I could tell, UEFA were pretty confident. You know, going back six months or so that, that they had the case nailed when something like this happens there's always you know City as a club are going to claim victory you know you wait for the losers but there is a bit more context I think needed around the discussion because you know if you actually look at the findings from the cast investigation 
you know, that one of the big problems has been, you know, this this ruling where, you know, things have happened sort of five years or longer ago, obviously can't really be taken into that level of consideration. So it's been quite difficult for, for to, to arrive at a conclusion around that because obviously, you know, City have been owned by Sheikh Mansour for a, a much longer period and some of the, the, the things that they're accused of happened before then. So in terms of the legislation, it's been difficult to sort of find, you know, what, what they've actually done. You know, I, I listened to Pep Guardiola this morning. He, he sort of said that, that a lot of these things that City are accused of, you know, he, he backs that up. He says, you know, that all the people who have responsible for it are no longer at the club you know it, it's something that happened in a tries to almost say you know it, it happened in a in a bygone era but of course you know who's to say what happened then hasn't isn't affecting city in a in a positive way now so i mean i think the conversation will rumble on i mean i i agree with james in the sense that for liverpool obviously we're looking at it through the prism of liverpool i don't think it's a particularly good message for football i mean i've never really bought this idea that uefa want this sort of well i understand that there is the argument around uefa wanting a, a sort of an establishment at the very top of the game but this idea that you know the, the clubs who want to come and find their muscle their way in aren't able to because of this supposed cartel you know, I've never really bought into that idea because, you know, now what, what does a football club need to do to to go and break through the, the, the sort of the ceiling? You know, it, it's quite clear that City, you know, the, the boundaries have been pushed way beyond anything that anybody else can compete with now. So, you know, how do people now, all the clubs now keep up with City? I think it's going to be very hard to do that. But I, I do think that in the short term, from Liverpool's point of view, it's not all misery because... If City weren't playing in the Champions League next season, you know, they would still be able, they might lose one or two players, but they'd still be able to buy top quality players. And, you know, they'd still have a great manager who said he was going to stay anyway. And I think it just put them in the pole position for the league title. Um, so, yeah, from Liverpool's point of view, I don't think it's it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen in terms of the immediacy of it. But I, th- I, I see what James is saying about in terms of the, the long-term FFP, sort of the way... Liverpool have, have sort of believed in FFP and shown that it can actually work, you know, because they've managed to get back to where they were. But then the conversation starts again, doesn't it, about Liverpool were one of the sort of established clubs in the first place. But Liverpool aren't in a bad position. I just wonder whether that's going to prompt the owners to think again about how they, they approach this summer, you know, in the transfer market, because clearly it's going to be a bit harder, I think, you know, for Liverpool to compete financially. This is a huge result for Manchester City, one of their biggest results for years, you'd say. I mean, look, if they'd had a two-year ban, it would have been disastrous for their finances, keeping players' reputation, all stuff you mentioned there, James. It sort of levels the playing field again. Yeah, it really does. And I think, personally, I I thought, going back a few weeks, I thought there might be some kind of compromise where it was only like a a one-year ban. And I think even in in, in, in that kind of situation, I, I, I I don't buy this idea that you would have had... Kevin De Bruyne turning around and saying he wants out because, you know, I, I just think money talks and and they would have ensured that these players were suitably recompensed to 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 stay put and accept no Champions League football for twelve months. So, um, yeah, I don't think it really, I don't think it really changes much from from Liverpool's point of view. You know, they, Liverpool have known for for a number of years that it that it isn't a level playing field in terms of the way that the way that City operate as a business and the way that, that Liverpool operate as a business. And that, you know, that, to be honest, puts into context what Liverpool have achieved this season to be so far ahead of, of Manchester City 
is absolutely extraordinary when we were, you know, what is it, only two years ago when we were talking about how, you know, this would be an era of, of complete dominance in English football from Man City and that and that nobody would, would be able to get close to them. So to, to push them so close last season and then to absolutely blow them away this season, it just it just shows you, you know, what, what you know, what it, 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 I think I think that that is the context in which you need to put this this title triumph and the significance of it. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Right, this is The Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall. We've got James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Let's talk Mo Salah. So he needs one goal to become the first Liverpool player since Roger Hunt to score... 20-plus league goals in three consecutive seasons. So Roger did it in 65-66. Of course, Simon recently retraced Mo's footsteps. Brilliant article, which you'll find on The Athletic, his footsteps in terms of his journey to become a professional footballer. Uh, This is a remarkable achievement, um, even when he gets there. You would imagine in the three games that are left, Simon, there's a personal goal to reach here for Mo. I can, you know, knowing the way he plays and sort of... I just can't see him not doing it. You know, I just think he he's very driven in that sense. And I mean, he had a few chances at the weekend against Burnley to add to the tally. Um, he'll be frustrated that that didn't happen then. But I, I think me and James were talking a little bit about this last week. Um, and you know, I, I do I do think that what he's achieved at Liverpool hasn't really got, in many ways, the recognition that that it should have. I think that's partly because of what he did in his first season, which was the most spectacular debut campaign of any mm-hmm. Liverpool player in history. I think when you, when you sort of achieve that in your first season, it becomes very difficult to sort of, you know, the drop between, 40, what was it, 43 goals, 44 goals, to maybe 20 to 25 seems like a big drop when the reality is scoring 20 goals a season for a player who's not even a centre-forward, he's, he's, a, he's a winger who sort of drift, you know, cut, cuts in fields. It's just incredible, and he's been he's been brilliant for Liverpool. I mean, I I really think I've said this before, but his game's improved as well. You know, he's he's a better player than he was uh, when he arrived. I think his game's evolved. He's not maybe using his pace quite as much, but his intelligence and his 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 work with his back to goal. I think he's a really strong player who, you know, is is capable of dealing with um, you know big robust centre halves. And you know, bringing other players in, into the game, I think he's become more selfless as well as as, as he's you know as, as times evolved with Liverpool. So for me, you know, if if he you know look at his age now, I, I can't imagine him going to another club really. I think I think he might be out of the you know into out out of the sort of the wage and and and, and transfer fee brackets for, for other clubs because of his age. So he he potentially could have you know another few years at Liverpool where potentially set some more records. I mean, I just think he's a, a brilliant footballer who who um, deserves, just deserves a bit more credit than he gets because sometimes I just feel, oh, he scored again, you know, he scored another goal. It just it doesn't feel like there's that level of excitement huh. around him, but he, he's, when, when I see him, he still gets, 
you know, gets me off off my feet when I'm watching a match. I think he's a really exciting player to watch. Just uh, he's been incredible signing for Liverpool. As with some top players, maybe appreciated more when they've gone. I mean, you mentioned 44, ridiculous tally in that season. You can't keep doing that season after season. But but what are his personal ambitions from this point? I mean, Simon mentioned maybe it is Liverpool from here on in, James. Have we had any indication? Well, certainly no indication that he, he sees his future anywhere else. I think I think one of the one of the the, the huge things that that Klopp has achieved it certainly with his with the way in which he's elevated Liverpool in the the past two years is that it, it is now looked upon as a final destination Anfield for for elite talent like like Salah like Mane you know like Virgil Van Dijk you know the the days when it was you know oh yeah I'll, I'll come here spend a couple of years and then hopefully that will get me a, a move to you know to Real Madrid or or Barcelona. I just, I just don't, I don't, I just don't see that existing anymore. And you know, Klopp said himself. I remember being in his in his kind of uh, newspaper breakout that he did um, shortly after Coutinho had went, and he said, you know, he said, don't don't mistake this for some kind of, you know, this is the way things are going to be with you know a, a talent drain. He said, you know, this this is a one off. This won't. He said, we won't we won't lose anyone else because people won't. He said, we, people won't want to leave because we'll take this club. Into a into a place where you know you know you, players would would be crazy to to want to move on and you know, and I think that's where Liverpool are at now because top players you know you, you want to be successful and you and you want to you want to be suitably recompensed for for your efforts and th- there's no doubt that these Liverpool players have been able to tick both of those boxes from from where they're at and I think you only with, with Salah as well I think size right that. I, th- I think he, I think he is underappreciated in terms of his, his numbers are absolutely ridiculous, and I think sometimes, yeah, yes, you know, th- th- there can be almost like a greedy streak to him at times, and people pounce on him when he he, he might take the wrong decision and and uh, and you know not put a chance on a plate for someone else or whatever. But you know, it, as Klopp said himself last week, you know. It, you know, show me a, a prolific goal scorer who doesn't have that greedy streak in him. You know, it's it's the reason his numbers are so ridiculously good. And and I think the other thing that gets overlooked with him, he's got he's got nine Premier League assists this season. You know, that's that, you know, aside from the the nineteen Premier League goals, you know, that's that's a that's a ridiculous number, and that 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 tells you everything. You know, that that buys into what Simon said about how he's evolved as a player. And become much more of a, a team man as well, and um, yeah, his his importance to this Liverpool team sh- certainly shouldn't be overlooked. You can't put a price tag on the numbers that we're talking about that surround a Mo Salah or a Sadio Mane side. No, I mean the, the the two of them have been transformative. I mean, there's a lot of transformative signings I think at Liverpool, largely because each most of the big signings that Liverpool have made have, since Jurgen Klopp have come in. You know, the big ones have just you know, really, you know, they, they really hit the money. Um, I mean, Mane, I would say, was the first big signing that the clock made. And from minute one, you know, the, the debut that he had at Arsenal, scoring that goal, you know, people forget. I mean, that that, that was an inc- another unbelievable football match. The sign of things to come. He scores a spectacular goal on his debut. And you just know from that point on that he's going to be a good player for Liverpool. You don't do that on your debut and then not do, you know, don't follow it through. Uh, throughout the rest of your Liverpool career. Same with Salah, you know, first game against Watford was an absolute nuisance and you just thought, yes, yeah, he's another one who's going to do well for the club and 
the, the, the pair of them are, you'd hate to play against them you know because uh, Mane for me I think is is again a touch underrated by, by some people because uh, because of the talent uh, you know that, he, that he's got around him in other areas of the team but I think any team in the world would, would take certainly Sadio Mane and the form that he's had since the turn of last year it's just been consistently one of the highest performers anywhere in the world um you know very different player to Salah who 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 um whose movements is, is slightly different Salah's not quite as direct I'd, I'd say as Mane but um they've both been absolutely brilliant signings for the full I just I just repeat myself I just I just love watching the two of them play because you you know how driven they are and how determined they are to win you know they don't take defeat lying down you know they're, they're determined to clearly to to do better than one another I mean I, I've never really uh, sort of wrote a big article about like sort of the rivalry between them when when they, they, they obviously clashed a little bit at Burnley but I don't think that's a problem I think all managers who are at the top level know that the players sometimes clash when it when it comes to you know sort of achieving their own individual records it's never affected the team you know they, they're just both brilliant brilliant signings for Liverpool two, two of the best players that I've seen play for Liverpool in an attacking sense for certainly over the last 20 years that they're up there with for me with with, with you know Torres and Suarez now the, the two of them in terms of in fact you know you, you would argue given their achievements given that what they've won you know they've they've, set, they've, they've eclipsed their impact Absolutely. Uh, high praise, but absolutely two fantastic players that hopefully are there for quite a while. This is The Red Agenda and uh, Harry's sponsors it. It's a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two normal guys. They were sick and tired of overpriced razors, so they set up their own brand and their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brand uh, harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close comfortable shave as a listener you can start shaving with harry's today claim your trial set for three pound 95 support the podcast and you get the set delivered to you it includes a razor handle five blade cartridge foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover if you head to harrys.com forward slash the red agenda right now that's harrys.com forward slash the red agenda so this is the red agenda let's just have a look at uh, the situation surrounding Dejan Lovren um Liverpool have an option on him until 2022 is that right James because we're hearing stories emerging that perhaps he might be ready to make the move on yeah that's 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 correct he um I think he, he signed a four-year contract but with you know as is quite common um the club had had an option written into the deal that they can extend it for a, a further 12 months so um you know which which clearly at the moment in a in a period when Liverpool are open to offers for him it makes sense to do that because of, of course you know it's um you know it, it kind of says to clubs you're not going to be able to get him on the cheap i think there were there were some reports in Russia over the weekend that that Liverpool would even be prepared to let him go on a, as a free agent now you know that that didn't need too much checking out to be told that that was absolute nonsense because um, you know I, I don't think Liverpool have got where they are and, and Michael Edwards has established a reputation that he's got from from giving giving presents away. Um, so so no yeah, uh, yeah but essentially Lovren has, has got two years left. Um, so Liverpool are, Liverpool are prepared to to sell him. There's no there's no question about that. I think it reminds me a little bit of the situation with Simon Mignolet where. You know, he'd wanted to leave one summer and, and Liverpool had said to him, you know, we, we really need you to stay put. And then when he still wanted to leave the, the following summer, they everything was very amicable and they and they did a deal. And it, it, it's similar here because 
certainly Lovren was pretty dead set on on leaving last summer when there was you know a number of Italian teams interested in him. I think it was AC Milan and Roma. But Klopp said to him, you know, I just you know we we can't lose you. We we need you for this coming season. But you know, you know, I think there would have been a, a proviso there that you know we'll, we'll look at it again if if you if you still want to move on. And you know, clearly he's frustrated, not happy to just stay put as being effectively Liverpool's fourth choice centre back. So um, yeah, I think fair to say Lovren, someone who has certainly polarised opinion and and taken a fair bit of stick during what is it six years uh, at Liverpool. You know, lots of ups, lots of downs. Um, but you know, I think as we've said before, and I've, I've 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 always felt that he gets an unfair amount of stick, and he's a lot better than a lot of people have given him credit for. And it'll be intriguing to see how Liverpool do do fill the gap because although they've got some really talented young centre halves coming through, I don't think there's one there at the moment you'd be able to say yes, you know that he he would be a suitable fourth choice centre back going into next season. So who are the player exits we're talking about now, Sai? Obviously, Adam Lallana's contract comes to an end. Dejan Lovren possibly moving on. Um, Jordan Shakiri. Yeah, well, he was back on the, the bench, wasn't he, at the weekend? And, um, I mean, Liverpool were, you know, willing to, to sell him. But it just it depends how the market plays out. Harry Wilson's another one who, in a normal circumstance, uh, given his performances for, for Bournemouth in the first half of this season, Given that you know he's he's a British player, they, they you know they could have fetched anything between fifteen and twenty million pounds for him, but but now things have changed, so they're going to have to reassess where they're at. I mean, I I do think there is need to reinforce in the centre half position. Um, you know, Virgil Van Dijk ne- virtually never misses a game, um, but but the other two, uh, well the other three, the injury records of of Matip and and Gomez and Lovren. You know, they, they, they have each, each player's had their own injury problems over the last five or six years, really. So, you know, I, I think if you if you if you cut one of those players from the team, you, you're going to have to replace them because otherwise, if you know, the, the, it has been known that, that, that you know two two at least two of the players have been injured at the same time in Liverpool, down to the bare bones in that department. I don't think you can afford to just think that Van Dijk makes everything okay all the time. Um, you know, there's been a bit of talk about. Fabinho dropping into the into the middle of defence where he did really well against Bayern Munich, absolutely fa- fantastic performance at Anfield um, about fifteen months ago. But you know, I I think Klopp when you, you always look for the big games, he puts Fabinho in the middle of the midfield. I think he's the first pick in there. You know, he's the mainstay in the middle, so you don't want to lose his presence there. I think he's been fantastic. You know, since. Um, since lockdown, arguably, you know, one of Liverpool, well, probably Liverpool's best performer, most consistent performer. Another assist at the weekend, another fine pass for Robertson's goal. So you don't want to lose what he offers you in, in the middle of the park. So it must surely be an area that they're looking at reinforcing, I, I would think. Uh, I'd be surprised if they weren't. Because as James says, they, they've got some good players in the youth teams, but the standard's so high, you know, particularly in that area of the pitch. You've got to be so physically robust. You know, I, th- I think they're going to have to have a little look at that, uh, particularly if Lovren goes. I can understand why he wants to go because he he thinks of himself as as being a, a top level footballer. At least he did after the uh, the World Cup in 2018 when he <laughs> described himself as one of the best best defenders in the world. And I think that sort of sums him up in, in many ways. You know, I remember Jurgen Klopp afterwards joking that he said Dejan is, but it'd be better if somebody else said that other than him. Um, you know, and he's had he's had some good moments for Liverpool. I think this season. 
he was he, he was fantastic against Man City at home at Anfield. One of his best games for Liverpool. I think probably got overshadowed a little bit because of the the scale of the victory on that night. But he, he was brilliant that that day and has contributed towards Liverpool's you know emergence. I, I, I don't I, I agree with James. I don't like the level of criticism that he gets. Uh, he has he has two or three. Maybe well, one or two bad games, bad moments a season, which sort of generates this feeling towards him. But he's he's done all right for Liverpool and, and contributed, you know, some big moments. You know, Borussia Dortmund, the the game, sort of launched Liverpool into this into this new era. Really, sort of, you know, really gave Liverpool the confidence that they could go and beat big big teams in improbable circumstances. And obviously, he scores uh, the winning goal in that game. So I don't think that should be forgotten, really. Yeah, I think he's been very much part of the story, hasn't he? Let's finish with a word on a piece that James uh, has written on The Athletic right now. You'll find the full article on The Athletic, and it's about uh, nutrition and the way it's worked within Liverpool to give them that, that extra marginal gain. We hear that phrase all the time about marginal gains, whether it's the kit they're wearing or the food they're eating, it matters. And uh, James, you've had a look at the work that's been done by uh, Mona Nemmer and how Liverpool have taken sports science very much to the next level. Yeah, they certainly have. Yeah, I think you know, it's been quite telling that in, in the aftermath of of being of being uh, you know, crowned champions that, that Klopp has... You know, time and time again, I've heard him you know, talk about the team behind the team and 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 the importance of of all these backroom staff members. And you know, he's he's name checked Mona Nemera and on a number of occasions. And uh, you know, I, I think you know when you when you speak to people at the club, that that just underlines the the, the high esteem in which he's held because you know Klopp Klopp himself, I think, did a did did a university course in sports science. So it's always been something that's that's close to his heart in terms of trying to remain at the cutting edge and um, and certainly her work fits fits rightly in that in that category um, you know, brought in from from Bayern Munich you know, nearly four years ago now and you know they, they they really have taken it to the to the next level and you know just in terms of the way she's transformed things and individual diet plans and you know, the, the the attention to detail was you know what struck me when you you speak to people about her work and you know every single player's plan is dependent on their the position that they play because all of the tests show that you know depending on what position you play you need you know different levels of carbohydrate and protein and similarly in terms of your height and your body weight and even you know down to your your nationality. Um, so yeah, there's you know so so many so many little things which I suppose you know in isolation people might scoff and think well eating mashed sweet potatoes with pumpkin is that really why why Liverpool are so far ahead and and it, only having sauces and dressings that are made from scratch and using sea salt rather than table salt and molasses in cake rather than sugar and but you know all of it, you know it's about that extra half a percent and one percent isn't it and I think. Especially when you think back to the number of tight games Liverpool have won this season, um, and the way in which they finished so many games strongly as well, um, I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, they, the club worked very closely with a number of top UK universities to, you know, to to ensure that they're right up to speed with all the, you know, the the new nutritional developments and you know antioxidants and all that every everything that you can possibly possibly think of. So. Um, yeah, it was. It's it's a world away actually. When you think about just how football has changed, you know, beyond beyond uh, you know any you know just so massively over 
over the the, the the Premier League era. You know, I, I bumped into Jan Molby in the, the car park at Anfield after the game on Saturday and he was telling me that his story about you know the last time Liverpool won the league it was it was Ronnie Moran with the, the pad and pen going down the coach saying, you know, who wants fish and chips, who wants chicken and chips, pie and chips and sausage and chips and anyone who uh, asked whether there was any anything other apart from those fourth options was given pretty short shrift by Ronnie Moran and um yeah, it's you know now we're talking about finely finely tuned athletes, and yeah, I think that attention to detail, as we've seen in so many areas, is has been absolutely massive to to what Klopp has achieved at Liverpool. Jan also tells a fantastic story because when he came from Ajax, and of course they were well ahead of the game, he turned up at Liverpool, and one of the first things he was told by Ronnie Brown in the boot room was you can't eat bread, bread is bad for you. He, he said, but as soon as they finished training and got on the bus, they handed them toast. And he said he couldn't <laughs> understand the, the whole way Liverpool was operating. But just very quickly on this, Simon, and obviously Graham Sooners tried to change that, didn't he? Tried to get them eating better foods, maybe tried to do it too quickly. And then Gerard Houllier actually did do it and he made the big change really there. Yeah, I think it, it, it's a fascinating timeline, really, because, it, you know, I suppose James is writing this at the end of the season when they've, they've finally got number 19. And, you know, around sort of the early 90s period, Sunes was, was very keen to implement some of the things that he'd seen in Italy when he played there, but also some things that he, he'd sort of thought about the way football was going himself. I think a lot of people sort of said, Oh, Graham had seen all this in Italy and wanted to go down the Italian route. But the reality was he had his own views of, of nutrition and had obviously taken great care of himself as a player, which allowed him to become a player manager and play, you know, well into his 30s. So he was met with, you know, to, it's fair to say total resistance to, to the nutritional changes that he wanted to implement. Possibly handled it not, not with the experience of sort of a manager that, that he became maybe ten, five, ten years later when he sort of became a bit more aware of how to, how to deal with, with certain egos. I think he, he always, I've interviewed him before and he felt he was a better manager, you know, later after he left Liverpool because he was he was a bit more diplomatic sometimes. But, you know, the Liverpool players just didn't, didn't, didn't buy into it. They, they'd done it a certain way for, for many years and um, decided that they wanted to continue. And footballers are creatures of habit. It's different now, obviously, you know, that the environment's totally different, I think. You could definitely say that, that Graeme Souness was ahead of his time, but I think the, the really interesting element to this, I'll just make it quick, but, you know, Jürgen Klopp, you know, reads about him sort of back when he was playing for Mainz and back when he was the coach at Mainz. You know, this is the sort of thing that managers do when they don't have, you know, the big name players and they have to try and find little, you know, people talk about marginal gains. Um, particularly the smaller clubs, it matters even more, I think, because, you know, you don't have the raw materials that you're dealing with. And he, Klopp was big into this at Mainz and this is what helped them when they were sort of in the lower reaches of, of the German second division and allowed them to get into the Bundesliga, you know. So it's something that he's been big on for many years. And obviously now with the... The, the, the resources that he's got at Liverpool is able to refine that and you know it's, uh, Liverpool just constantly thinking about how to improve and I'm sure maybe in a year's time when you know we write the piece again there'll, there'll be new details and new things that Liverpool are trying to push towards the players so it, yeah it's it's fascinating I mean I, I just fancied uh, you know ham egg and chips after reading James <laughs> piece, but, and that concludes another uh, Red Agenda and the message is eat well and you too could be champions uh, James and Si thank you <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Steve. We will talk again next week on the Red Agenda on The Athletic.